David is the author of the entire book of Psalms, true or false? Exactly. Uh, David wrote a lot of Psalms, but certainly not the entire book. How many authors are listed, known authors are listed in the Psalms? Six, very good. David wrote 73, which is, uh, you know, nearly uh, half. Uh, And then Asaph wrote 12, the sons of Korah wrote 12, Solomon 2, Moses wrote 1, and Ethan wrote 1. Number three, some Psalms are called blank Psalms. Orphan Psalm. And what does that mean when we call them orphan Psalms? We don't know who the writer is. They're they're anonymous. How many orphan Psalms are there? 49. Very good. Number four. The Psalms were written over a period of 100 years. True or false? False. Approximately how long did it take for the Psalms to be written? Do you know? No, even longer. About a thousand years. About 1,000 years. Uh, nearly a thousand years, approximately, if you want to write this down somewhere, approximately 1400 B.C. to 400 B.C., roughly speaking. Those are not exact dates, but roughly speaking, 1400 B.C. to 400 B.C., so about a thousand years. Number five, Jesus used the book of Psalms, true or false? True. By the first century A.D., it was actually referred to as the book of of Psalms. I, I, I just love this scripture. We looked at it last time, but let's start in Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus is talking to, uh, confronted by some of the teachers of the law and, and that kind of thing. He's in discussion specifically, beginning in verse 27, with the Sadducees. And they're talking about things related to the law. And Jesus said to them, to the Sadducees, verse 41, Jesus said to them, how is it that they say the Christ is the son of David? Verse 42, David himself declares in the book of Psalms, and then he quotes the book of Psalms. So by the time of Jesus, by the first century, the book of Psalms was formed, and it was used uh, in, in, uh, in reading and in worship. In fact, Jesus quotes from the Psalms a lot in his earthly ministry, specifically even from the cross. When he was dying on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting from the Psalms. I just find that fascinating that the book we're reading during the month of May is the book our Lord read as well. And he memorized much of it apparently. All right, so that's just kind of review and introduction uh, from what we did last time. Now, I want to begin, and I've given you an outline. I hope that you've, you've gotten that. It's, it's a little bit different outline. It's, it's not going to be everything we're going to talk about tonight, but it's two-sided, and, and you're not even going to use it at first, but one side talks about the five books of Psalms. We're going to dig into that in a few moments. Then the other side talks about some key dates, and the reason you need those key dates to help you understand the entire Old Testament, but specifically to help you understand the Psalms and even the books of Psalms that we're going to be looking at. So just kind of keep that outline handy. Uh, you may just want to write some notes on, around the sides of it, that, or you may have a notebook, and that's fine. I want to begin tonight, as we try to digest 150 Psalms, I want to begin tonight by talking about the emotions of the Psalms, the emotions of the Psalms. More than any other book in the Bible, the book of Psalms explores the personal nature of our relationship with God. I want to say that one more time. More than any other book of the Bible, the book of Psalms explores the personal nature of our relationship with God. One commentator said it this way, He said, these inspired writers express in words what the rest of us can only feel. Yet when we read these words of anger, sadness, hope, and praise, they become our own for they reflect our deepest and sometimes most private emotions. Uh, What what the commentator was saying was, listen, when the writers, when the inspired writers wrote these these words, when they wrote these psalms, they they were writing things that we feel. 
They were writing about our emotions. Uh, as you read through the Psalms, I want you to be aware of all the emotions that are involved in these Psalms. And we're not going to be able to look at all of them, but I wanted to give you some examples. And here's what we're going to do. Really going to ask for your participation tonight more so than perhaps normally we do. Uh, but I want you to just start reading through the Psalms with me. We're going to read individual Psalms. So let's start in Psalm 113. I'm sorry, Psalm 13. I'm going to read part of the psalm, and I want you to tell me the dominant emotion in that text, all right? So we're going to do this for quite a few of them, because I just want you to get a feel for the emotions that are in the psalms. So going to Psalm 13, and we may have, you know, disagreement about what emotion is displayed here, but at least you will see that the psalms really are filled with emotion. So Psalm 13, I'm going to read the first six verses, and you tell me the dominant emotion in the text, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will, you, will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. What emotion would you use, would you say is displayed there in Psalm 13? Anxiety, what else? Frustration? Anger, perhaps. All right, so you get an idea. Now let's go to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse 1. Look again for the emotion, the dominant. Now there will be all kinds of emotions, but the dominant emotion in this text. As the deer pants for streams of water, my, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the, with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. What, what's the dominant emotion there? Longing? Depression? Yeah. Depression? Discouragement? Psalm 51. Let's, let's keep doing this. Again, just trying to identify that there's great emotion in the Psalms. Psalm 51. Just read the first three verses. This one will be pretty easy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me. What would you say the dominant emotion there is? Guilt. Guilt. Look at Psalm 55. Psalm 55. We'll just read the first seven verses. Listen to my prayer, O God. 
Have you noticed how many times already tonight the psalmist is asking God to listen or sometimes almost directing God to listen? Does it ever feel like to you that God's not listening? It did to him. That's why he was struggling. That's why he was asking God to listen. It's like, I don't know if I've got your attention or not. I don't know if you're paying attention to what I'm going through here. And so look at what what he says and tell me the emotion. Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Look at this verse is highlighted in my Bible. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. At the voice of the enemy, at the stairs of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. Hairs of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I say, oh, that that I had the wings of a dove, I'd fly away and be at rest. I would flee far from, or flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. What emotion would you describe he is depicting here? What? Desperation, that's good. Some more, you may also say depression again, you know, because he said, my... My thoughts trouble me and I'm distraught. If you feel like you're one of those people where you always have to have it together, then you you just don't understand the psalmist. Psalmist didn't always have it together. He was distraught. He was desperate. He was depressed. He didn't understand everything he was going through. Again, just wanting you to get a, a feel for the emotions of this book. Psalm 56, let's... Read a few verses there. Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? What, 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 I just now gave it away. If you were listening, what what emotion does he describe here? Fear. Let's do a couple, two or three more. Uh, Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Find rest. I'm sorry. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I'll never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him for his, from his lofty place, and they take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And then he says in verse 5, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. What, what emotion does He depict there? Yeah. Peace. Trust. Let me do one more and we'll, we'll move on. Uh, this one would be pretty easy, I think. Uh, Psalm 66. Psalm 66. Psalm 66. We'll just read uh, five verses. Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. Say to God, How awesome are your deeds! So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Come and see what God has done. How awesome his works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. What's the emotion here? Praise. I think you're beginning to see if you're paying attention, that God's people throughout history have loved the Psalter, as it's sometimes called, or the Psalms, because it's really a collection of songs and prayers 
that arise out of the experiences we can identify with. We can identify with anger and discouragement and guilt and depression and fear and trust. We can identify with those things because we live those things. And the psalmist did as well. I love this quote that I found. It says, speaking of the Psalms, it says, They show how people behave when they are conscious of God, which is the only realistic way to live. He says, the Psalms show how people behave when they are conscious of God. When they recognize God in the world and in their lives. So, with that kind of as an introduction, I want to talk to you uh, about the five major books in Psalms. Now, I introduced that to you the last time. I showed you the five major books that are found in the 150 books that make up the Psalms. But uh, I want to review it again and this time give you some more information about these books and, and go a little deeper with you and tie it into biblical history. All right, so that's what we're going to try to do in the last 30 minutes. First of all, so on your outline you have there the five major sections or five major books. Book one, uh, again, I ask for your participation. Book one is made up of what Psalms? 1 through 41. And if you, you just kind of fan through those pages with me, just, just flipping through the pages, 1 through 41. And so in chapter or Psalms 1 and 2, when we've told you this before, it really is an introduction to the whole book of Psalms, chapter Psalms 1 and 2. Then Psalms 3 through 41 are Psalms written by David. That's an important point there. I want to make sure you get that. The first book is almost entirely written by David, Psalms 3 through 41. And then Psalm 41, if you'll turn there in your Bible, Psalm 41, which is also a psalm written by David, but look how it ends, verse 13. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. It's a doxology. It's really closing out this book. It's, it, this first book that's found in the book of Psalms is, is closed with this doxology, with this praising of the Lord. It closes the book with a response, basically, to what has been shown about God in the, in the 41 Psalms that make up that book. It's a response to what has been revealed about God in the first book. Then we go to book number two. And book number two is composed of what, what are the Psalms that make up book number two. 42 to 72. Notice how the breakdown is there on your notes. First of all, Psalms 42 through 49 are Psalms of Korah's sons. Psalm 50 is a Psalm of Asaph. Psalm 51 through 71, again, a, a good portion of the book, are Psalms of David. We'll come back to that in a moment. And then Psalm 72 is a Psalm by Solomon. And then we have the doxology. Would you go to Psalm 72? Find that in your Bibles real quick. Psalm 72. Verse 18. Praise be to the God, the God of Israel, who, who, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. And again, we have... This doxology, this time of praising God for who He is and what He's done as He is revealed in Psalms 42 through 72, or book 2. We can go to book number 3, Psalm 73 through 89. In Psalms, uh, Psalm 73 through 89, book 3, first of all, we have Psalms of Asaph, which there's Psalm 73 through 83. Then Psalms of Korah's sons, and there's listed there, 84 and 85 and 87 and 88. Then, how many Psalms of David in the third book? Interesting. We've had a lot of David in the first two books. Why just one in this book? We'll, we'll try to tie all that together for you in a moment. And then there is one Psalm of Ethan. And then there is, again, the doxology. Would you go to Psalm 89, verse 52? Let's see how this book closes. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And then if you look at the heading, it says book 4 right below that. And book 4 is made up of Psalms 90 through 106. Now, as we 
try to break down Psalm or, or Book Four, we find Psalms of Worship in this section, which are mostly anonymous. And then there is the Prayer of Moses, and that that will be an interesting for us, uh, interesting one for us to come back to in a few moments. That the Psalm of of Moses or a Prayer of Moses is that deep into the book. And then we have two Psalms of David, and then we have in Psalm 106 the doxology. So let's turn to there. Psalm 106, verse 48. Psalm 106, verse 48. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, what? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then right below that, it should say in your Bible, book 5. Book 5 is made up of Psalms 107 to 150. And now we come back to some Psalms of David again. Psalms of David, 107 through 110, 138 to 145. Then the, there, are, there is the Hallel or the Praise Psalms. And you see that those are listed there on your notes. Then there is the, the Psalm of the Law. That, that is, there's a description of the Word of God. Psalm 119, which happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, which is pretty cool. The longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible, describing the Bible, the value of the Bible. That's Psalm 119. Then there are Songs of Ascents. I'll talk about what that is in a moment, but songs of ascents. And then there's the psalm of captivity, and we'll look at that in a moment. And then the doxology, we won't read that one just yet because we're going to read it at the end. All right, so any questions, because we're getting ready to kind of dive deep. Any questions about what we've looked at so far? I know it's just kind of a summary overview, but any questions so far? All right. I hope I can do this. And here's what I'm talking about. Uh, I hope that I can depict for you uh, the historical significance of the Psalms. And we're going to do it with seven key dates. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. Some key dates in Israel's history. Uh, if, if I could just take a moment, kind of go over those with you, and that will serve as the foundation for what we want to talk about tonight. First, the first date that I want you to be aware of is uh, 1440. This is B.C. All of these will be B.C. 1440 B.C. And that relates to Moses. When, when you're thinking about Moses, of course, who brought the people of, of Israel uh, out of Egypt, it occurred in the 1400s. 1440 B.C. is, is approximately the date that he wrote the psalm that we're going to be looking at in, in a few moments. But uh, just get that in your mind, 1440 B.C. And then approximately 1000 B.C. is when David would have been alive and would have served as king and written... The, the Psalms attributed to him, about 1,000. 931 is a big date in Israel's history. 931 B.C., Israel splits into two kingdoms. There is the northern kingdom, which is made up of ten tribes. It's called Israel. Then there is the southern kingdom, that is made up of, I'm sorry, northern kingdom is made up of ten tribes. Southern kingdom, Judah, is made up of two tribes. All right? This is a, a, a huge moment in Israel's history, 931, that the nation of Israel actually splits. You, you have Israel, how many tribes? And they're the northern kingdom. You have Judah, the southern kingdom, with two tribes. Uh, and I put on your notes, if you want to go back and read this, I put on your notes like 1 Kings 12 through 13. We don't have time to read all that, but that gives you the historical, biblical background of these, two, these things that we're talking about. Now, another date that you need to be aware of is 722 B.C. 722 B.C. Israel is defeated.
Israel is defeated in 722 by Assyria and taken captive. God's people are defeated. Israel, the northern section, the ten tribes are defeated. They were taken captive by Assyria. Remember that, Assyria. Alright? Now, I'm just going to put one date here, 586. But it really begins in 607. Again, all of this is B.C. Another very significant date. Very, very significant date in Israel's history. In 586, well, let me back up. In 607 B.C., Judah began to be attacked by the nation of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar and his people came to attack. It was, it was God's judgment on his people. God was judging his people because they had turned their back on him. And so God sent, they did not learn, watch this, look up here. They didn't learn from Israel's defeat. The prophets kept warning, remember what happened to Israel? Remember how they turned their back on God and how God sent judgment on them through Assyria? You need to turn your heart back to the Lord. You need to obey the Lord or you will suffer the same fate. And the prophets continue to teach that and preach that. And yet, God's people turned a deaf ear. So beginning in 607 B.C., Babylon came against Judah. 607. By 586, they were completely defeated. Here's what happened. The, the captivity started here. In 607, they started taking God's people away from Judah to Babylon. This is when the Babylonian captivity began. They started taking people out of, out of Judah to Babylon. And, and then God's people would live a little bit better for a while, but then they would turn against the Lord. And, and then uh, they would rebel against Babylon, and Babylon would come back, and they had several skirmishes, if you will. And each time Babylon came back, they took some people back with them again. So there were several times where the people were, were removed from Judah to Babylon. So the Babylonian captivity was not just a one-day or one-time event where they grabbed people and took them to Babylon as prisoners. It was actually several times where Babylon kept coming back, trying to squash the uprising, trying to get the people under control. And every time they came back, they would defeat them and they would bring them another group back to Babylon. 586, Nebuchadnezzar said, I've had enough. 586, King Nebuchadnezzar actually went there himself. Before he had sent his soldiers, this time King Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem. They surrounded the city. It took them, I think it was over a year. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact dates. It took them, at, well, it was at least a year that they surrounded the city and eventually destroyed the city. The reason this is such an important date, in 586, the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed and the temple of God was burned. So here we have the destruction of the temple. And the people of God are taken to Babylon. Now you only have a small remnant left in Jerusalem because the people of God are taken to Babylon. Now, uh, they're in captivity a total of 70 years. 70 years that, that they were removed from their homeland and taken to Babylon. The reason 607 is an important date, that's when the captivity began. And, and so in 539, 539, another important date, 539, Cyrus, the king of Persia, defeated Babylon. And in 537... He allowed God's people, the Jews, to go back to their homeland. So look up here. 607 minus 537 is how many years? 70. So the captivity began in 607. 537, they were allowed to go back to their homeland. Start going. Not everybody went back, by the way. Some chose to remain in Babylon. Uh, but so 70 years later, because Cyrus came in and defeated Babylon, Cyrus, the king of Persia, came in and defeated Babylon, 
539, that's, that's when it happened, 537, he allowed the people of God to go back to Jerusalem. And uh, 535, they began to work on the second temple. That's in Ezra chapter 3. They began to rebuild the temple. Uh, so the sec- they, they built the second temple, which is the one that Jesus would have went into in his day. And then in, that was uh, 535 when they began to work on the second temple. And then in 516, the temple was completely uh, was completed and dedicated. And that's in the book of Ezra chapter 6, 516 B.C. Now, here's the reason I took the time to go over all of that. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to talk about. And uh, we're going to try to... Uh, we're going to try to do the impossible. All right, here's what I need you to understand. When, look at this board. When were the Psalms written... When were the Psalms written? Here's the answer. The Psalms were written throughout the history of Israel. They were written beginning with Moses. Now his, his Psalm appears later in the book, and we'll talk a few minutes about why it's so late in the book, but Moses was the first author, first one to write a Psalm. David wrote 70, what was it, 73 of them? So during this time, but from Moses to David, all the way to the exile, is when the Psalms were written. So it covers a period of time of roughly a thousand years. Roughly from Moses 1440 to around 400 by the time post-exile that, that you see these Psalms being written. There's no other book quite like that in the Bible. You know, when Paul wrote the book of, uh, the, to the church at Philippi, it was in a certain year. 64, 63, pick your date. But it was a certain year, certain time. He sat down and he wrote a book. Even when Jeremiah wrote his book, there, there was a certain time frame, a, a, a very short time frame essentially compared to this, that he wrote his book. But Psalms are totally different. Psalms were written by many different authors, at least six or seven that we know for sure. Many, and plus the, the orphan psalms, so, so written by many different authors over a period of about a thousand years. And watch this. And they weren't written in just one location. Look up here. Moses was probably in the Sinai area. That's where he wrote his psalm. David would have been in Jerusalem. That's where he wrote a lot of his songs. The exile appeared in, or occurred in Babylon. So that's where a lot of those psalms were written. So the Psalms were written not only over a long period of time, they were written in various places, from Egypt to Israel to Babylon. I'm telling you, this is a very unique book. Now, here's, I think, something very interesting and strategic. Um, let me do it this way. How do I flip this thing? To understand the Psalms, you really have to think in terms of three things. First of all, we have the exile. We know now what that is. We, we've looked at it there on that, on that graph. So you have Psalms that are Psalms that are pre-exilic, Psalms that were written in the exile, and some Psalms that were written post-exilic. Alright, so the exile is what? Tell me real quick, the exile is what? Oh, I hope you get this. <laughs> the exile is when God's people are carried away to Babylon. Huh? Yeah, they were defeated. They were carried away from Judah, their homeland, into Babylon. They lived there for 70 years as punishment for their sin. So, Here's, here's a way to help you to understand the Psalms. Written over a thousand years, uh, Egypt, Jerusalem, Babylon, different places. But you really, to understand the Psalms, need to think in, in, this, in this way. You need to think of them in terms of, is this a pre-exilic Psalm? Is this a Psalm written during the exile? Or is this a Psalm written post-exile? 
Now, the interesting thing to me is that most of the Psalms were written pre-exilic or in the exile. Most of them, not all of them, but the vast majority are written right here. And watch this. Though they were written pre-exile or during the exile, the Psalms were, formed, were gathered post-exile. So after the exile, after God's people come back to their homeland, then these Psalms that had been written over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years began to be grouped, gathered and grouped together to form the book we now have. Now, why were these psalms gathered that way during post-exile? Do you remember what was happening during this post-exile? Look up here. Do you remember what they were doing during this post-exile? They were rebuilding the temple. You need a hymn book for the temple. You need a prayer book for the temple. You need a worship book to be used in the second temple. Guess what that book is? Psalms. So they take all of these psalms that were written over this thousand year period of time, post-exile when they're rebuilding the temple, Ezra and the temple officials began to gather all of these psalms and put them to, into one book, put them in categories, book one, two, three, four, and five, put them into a collection, and now that's where we have the psalms. Book of praise and prayer and worship to be used during the second temple. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. You're, 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 you're right on target. A lot of those are, and that's what we're going to look at next. How these psalms, when these psalms were written, were they written pre-exile, exile, or post-exile? So, so that's what I want to get into real quick. Uh, you might want to flip your notes back over now where it has the five books and just make, just make notes scattered around the page in the last 12 minutes here. So the Psalms basically are arranged in such a way that they mirror the story of Israel. Really, they, they mirror the history of Israel. For instance, books one and two, basically, there, there's always exceptions in, in, in this, but books one and two basically talk about the rule of David. The rule of David as king. David rules as king in books 1 and 2. In books 1 and 2 there is lament and praise as, as the people of God praised the Lord and, and thanked Him for all of His goodness. And, and the, the righteousness of God is, is emphasized. All of this is pre-exilic. During the reign of David, things were wonderful, things were great. David is the godly king of Israel. Jerusalem and the temple are noted as the place of God's presence. Jerusalem and the temple are noted as the place where God reigns. Uh, these two books concentrated on David as king, watch this, under the ultimate kingship of Yahweh God. So the first two books in the, books, in the book of Psalms, the first two books, really focus on David as the king under the ultimate king, Yahweh God. Book 3 contains some prominent exilic and post-exilic laments. Book 3 predominantly talks about, if you can see up here, talks about what happened here during the exile and what it felt like here post-exile. Let me give you some examples. Um, take your, your Bibles and let's go to Psalm 74. Psalm 74. <clears throat> Psalm 74. Remember now, this is book 3. Psalm 74 is part of book 3. Psalm 74, verses 1 through 9. Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the people you purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance whom you redeemed, Mount Zion where you dwelt? Remember where you dwelt? Remember Mount Zion has been destroyed by now. 
Turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins. All this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. The temple is destroyed. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They, they set up their standards as signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatches. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. We are given no miraculous signs, no prophets are left, and none of us know how long this will be. Understand what's happening? The psalmist is writing about something that, that happened right here, isn't he? How the temple was destroyed. How the place where God once dwelt no longer existed. So he's writing right here, right before the exile. Maybe right, probably writing during the exile about the experience might be a better way to say it. Writing during the exile about the experience they just had. Now look in Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Think in terms of, of being forced from your homeland taken by the Babylonians to Babylon, forced to live there as prisoners and slaves, and then read Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. Watch this. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will He never show His favor again? Has His unfailing love vanished forever? Has His promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has He in anger withheld His compassion? Look up here. He's living in exile. And He's writing about the brokenness of that. He's writing about what He's going through and the emotions He's wrestling with. And He's asking, God, where are you? Have you forgotten us forever? Psalm 79. Psalm 79. Oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to what? To rubble. They have given the dead bodies of your servants as food to the birds of the air, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem. And there's no one to bury the dead. We're objects of reproach to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. How long, O oh Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and destroyed his homeland. Again, writing during this time of exile. Trying to understand what God's doing. Book 4, we need to move on. Book 4, emphasize, I like book 4. It emphasizes that despite the present circumstances, God is still on his throne. You've got to get the whole context. Understanding book one, book two, book three about being into exile. And, but in book four, the, the theme is, even though we've gone through some hard times, despite the present circumstances, God is still on His throne. I want you to go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. If your Bible has notes, it should say book four, right above Psalm 90. And I want you to look at Psalm 90 and tell me who wrote this psalm. Moses. 
That's pretty deep in the book, isn't it? Look up here again. Look up here real quick. He wrote this psalm about 1440 B.C. So why in the world is it in book 4? I mean, if you and I were putting them together, wouldn't we put him in in book 1? Book 1, Psalm 1, right? Because he wrote the first one. But he's not in book 1, Psalm 1. No. He's in book 4. Book 4 begins with the Psalm of Moses. And look what he says. In... As he begins this, reminding Israel that God has been their God for generations. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I love that. When they grouped these together and they started this book four, uh, book four that really is is kind of a a book to emphasize that though we are have been living in hard circumstances, God is still on His throne. And book four opens with the words of Moses saying, "God, you've been our God for generations, and though we've gone through some ter- terribly hard times, you're still on your throne. You are still Lord, and you're still God." And then that's followed by two psalms of trust and thanksgiving. I'm going to have to speed up here. Psalm 91 and Psalm 92 are psalms of trust and thanksgiving. Then there's a collection that emphasizes that Yahweh is their king. All those 93 through 100 basically emphasizes that. Then this book ends with psalms of praise. Flip through. We don't have time to read them, but Psalms beginning in Psalm 100 through Psalm 106, there are Psalms of praise, thanking God that He still is God, even though they've gone through some terribly difficult times in the Babylonian captivity. Uh, and then, uh, look, this is so interesting. I want you to see how this book ends. Psalm 106, verse 47. Psalm 106, verse 47. There is a final appeal in the book. For Yahweh, to, for God to gather the exiles. So, so they're writing during the exile. Look up here. They're writing during the exile. All of these Psalms in book 4, writing during the exile. And this book ends, and, and during the exile, there's, they, they put in this Psalm by Moses saying, you've been our God for, through all generations. And now this book ends with this appeal, Psalm 106, verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us, from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. The book ends with an appeal. God, would you gather us from the nations? Would you allow us to go back to our homeland? Book 5. Book 5 begins with a psalm of praise that assumes the, the gathering of God's people. Look, look how psalm, book 5, Psalm 107 Look how it begins. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Watch verse 3. Those He gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Running out of time, but this book basically looks forward to God's great future for His people as God gathers His people back up here, post-exilic. As God gathers His people back in the homeland. As God gathers His people back. So we come to Psalm 119, which really is a large, huge psalm about the importance and the significance of the Word of God in our lives to make sure that we don't go back to this place anymore, that we don't go back to living in judgment and exile. Psalm 119, post-exilic, saying this is the way you need to live. Psalms 120 through 134 are psalms of ascent. These are psalms... uh, used in the annual religious pilgrimage going up to Jerusalem. Again, post-exilic. And then the book ends with five final hallelujah psalms. Psalms 146 through 150, a reminder of God's ultimate sovereignty over all things and a call to praise this God that we serve. Again, post-exilic. Psalm, uh, the book five basically is, is kind of a, a closing to the history, if you will of the people of Israel. So I'm out of time, but let me give you some things to write down. You can read them for yourself. 
By the time of Jesus, the book of Psalms was used regularly in worship. And you might want to read, in addition to what we read previously, read Luke 24, verse 44. Acts 13, verse 33. Ephesians 5, verse 19. Paul says, speak to one another in psalms and songs. Spiritual songs. Colossians 3.16, Paul again counsels us to speak and to sing in psalms. So it was used by this time regularly in worship. Finally, let me give you three. No, I don't have time to do that. Let me, let me close by reading Psalm 150. Since it is the closing, it is an appropriate doxology for the entire book. It's an appropriate doxology for us as we end our study. Psalm 150. Is a call to praise the Lord. So Psalm 150 answers four different questions. Psalm 150 answers four different questions. First of all, where should God be praised? Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. That's where He should be praised. Why should He be praised? Praise Him for His mighty acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. How should he be praised? Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and with flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. And who should praise God? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can't understand the Psalms unless you understand the history behind God's people. You need to understand that, that, that really the Psalms are about a covenant relationship with God. The Psalms are saturated with this idea that we are God's people. We have a covenant relationship with this holy God. And as the history of Israel played out, across the history of Israel, we have the record of the emotions, the prayers, and the songs that God's people sang and that God's people prayed and the questions that God's people asked as they lived in covenant with this God. And when the book of Psalms comes to a conclusion, all they can do is the last five song, psalms are psalms of praise. He alone is worthy of praise.